The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's easy to hear your favorite artist on WFPK from wherever you are. Listen on your smart speaker, live stream from our website at WFPK.org from Louisville Public Media. Consequence Podcast Network. Welcome to another edition of Kyle Meredith with... It's the interview series presented by WFPK at WFPK.org. Consequence and the Consequence Podcast Network. Thanks, as always, for making your way here, checking out the episode in the series. I do hope you hit the subscribe button. Uh, I put out three new interviews every single week. It's a new one every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, so it's a great way to keep up with your favorite artists, discover some new ones, and know what's happening in the music world. And, of course, you can subscribe to all the usual spots like iTunes and Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, Podchaser, NPR, YouTube for the video versions, or, again, anywhere you get your podcast from. I'm Kyle Merritt. Today, I get to talk to one of my biggest heroes of all time, talking about R.E.M., Michael Stipe and Mike Mills. We're going to be remembering the 1996 album, New Adventures in Hi-Fi, for its 25th anniversary. The uh, box set just arrived a few weeks ago. The rock legends are going to be talking about writing the bulk of the record while touring the Monster album, the idea of spontaneity within the songs, and Stipe using religion as a writing tool. We also hear what it was like for the lead singer to meet his idol, Patti Smith, for the first time, as well as hearing Eddie Vedder and Jason Isbell's recent R.E.M. covers and new music on the way from both individuals. It's the 25th anniversary of New Adventures in Hi-Fi, and it's Kyle Meredith with R.E.M. Hello, Kyle. Hey there. Hi there. How's it going? It's great. Great to see you both on here. Uh, we're, we're, we're jumping as you do these days when you're together in the time machine, heading back to 1996, talk about a little record over my shoulder called New Adventures in, in Hi-Fi, which has uh, got the big deluxe edition and just one of the greatest albums uh, of all time. Uh, I know as the story goes, a lot of these songs were recorded on the Monster Tour. It ended up being a road record that wasn't typically a road record, but I hope this, I'm going to start with a very heady question, I guess is where I'm going here. The road as a backdrop, as a character. Um, We're told about albums that are kind of snapshots of artists, but this one really does, even now, more so now, feel like a snapshot of America, of of life at the time. Um, I'll, I'll sort of toss this one up to whoever wants it. As you look back on it, what is the world that you captured? Um. I, I was never an autobiographic writer, and this record is the same. Uh, or I was kind of very, really in the very, very, very beginning because I just wrote what I knew. Uh, and then I realized that I didn't want to do that anymore. Th- this is not at all a record about a band on the road or my experience being in a band on the road. Uh, 
although we did uh, we did work up the guys worked up a lot of the arrangements and a lot of the a lot of the songs while we were on the monster tour and played them at sound checks and in the dressing rooms and I was in the next dressing room over listening. Uh, the really great thing for me is that I was able to the the, the melodies the, the music kind of seeped into my DNA over that year and a half, and I had a lot more. Uh, a lot more headspace, a lot more brain space to think about the lyrics and to to work on those after the tour was over. I was focused during the tour really on every performance that night and not so much on trying to land pop songs for the next album. So most of the work that I did, most of my contribution came after the tour was done. Um, thematically, uh, the record does, is a lot about people, about movement. It's, a, it's, it's got this velocity to it. From song to song, um, but a lot of that had to do with my um, abandoning New York in the early '90s and following my best friend to Los Angeles, moving to LA and kind of, in a way, living and discovering uh, the American West for the first time. And and then it's a place where Peter Buck uh, came from. His grandfather, Mike, correct me if I'm wrong, was the sheriff of LA County, police officer in Lancaster, California. Uh, <laughs> well, so maybe I did a maybe I did a little Buckland uh, <laughs> exaggeration uh, exaggeration of, of his story there, but but there was a lot there was a, there was a lot of history and a lot of stories that I could tap into, and a, a kind of new way of looking at not only America but the world, and I used that um, to good end. I think you know you know in 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 looking back and talking about this record, it it has occurred to me this is a record about transition. Um, both the literal transition of us being on the road and going from city to city, uh, which is, you know, directly referenced in one song at least, but but certainly infuses the record, but also uh, transitions that we weren't aware of. Uh, it's the transition that Bill, it's the last record with Bill uh, in the band. Um, it's a transition into a new record contract. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's just record of movement and change. And I think that's one reason it works and that's one reason that it's okay that the songs are all very different and it really leaps from one type of song to the next. There's not a lot of cohesion on this record except for the feeling of movement. And that's what ties it all together. Well, I, 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 I kind of almost, there is cohesion. I, I completely agree with everything you said, but, but it, it, we, have to, we have to state this was not about us. This is not a, a record about a band touring. Right. I mean, no, we, no, no. The transition were, was just an ex with the element around what we were doing. It wasn't about that at all. It was just something that infused its way into the record. Well, that infusion, I think, is profoundly important because you can really feel it in the tracks. What these guys were doing, uh, you know, we were in this hyper adrenalized state uh, being on tour and performing every night or every other night. And you feel that in you feel that in the music. It, it, it creates this bristling landscape for me to people with the narrative arcs and the the, the characters that I invented. Um, and and uh, it remains my favorite uh, REM album. It remains my favorite record of, of, of any record that we made. Now, it has recently in the past, past couple of years been joined in the number one slot by Reveal. I have to admit, <laughs> I have a soft spot in my heart for that record. But um, but New Adventures in Hi-Fi is absolutely my favorite my favorite record of us most definitely of us as a four piece. Yeah, I, I remember the first time I heard it, and and it went with every record that you all had done. I think as as a lot of artists will say, you know, as sort of a reaction to the last record. But this one I think was the most drastic, like coming off of Monster, 
which real quick, uh, personally speaking, was a record that literally changed my life. A day in 1994 when someone slipped some headphones over me and I heard bang and blame in a very rural town in the middle of the Kentucky nowhere, my life changed. So Monster became a very important record. And then hearing this one, like it's even more surprising hearing that so much of it was sort of created around Monster for it to be so drastically different musically speaking. And I, there are those moments where they, I feel like they do talk to each other, but but where where did that come from? I mean, here you are doing this, you know, sort of glamish thing on stage, and then to go back and and the music wasn't that. There is there's 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 a um, I like the way you said that the the dialogue between Monster, the record that we did before that, the tour itself, and this album, you definitely hear it in the Wake Up Bomb, uh, and um, and uh, there there's that ironic distance that we borrowed really from. Um, uh, you know, Peter had moved to Seattle and, and bought a house uh, with his wife at the time. And Kurt and Courtney literally bought the house next door. They shared a fence. I mean, they could look into each other's windows. And he became friends with all those guys. And so suddenly we had, there was this really exciting uh, thing that was happening in Seattle that Peter was a part of. And we had that, but we also had, you know, you too had released um, Octung Baby and uh, Zuropa and ha- were, were, were applying this um, ironic distance to themselves to be able to kind of knock themselves down as as celebrities and as public figures and as big pop stars, and that that had a profound impact on me uh, as as a, as a lover of music, also as a friend of those guys. I thought it was fantastic what they were doing, and it was my favorite thing that they'd done. So we took that same kind of ironic distance accidentally. I think I don't think we did it on purpose, Mike, but but using glam rock as kind of a base, uh, that's what Monster became. And that's what the, the the presentation of Monster on the road in 95 became. In the in the background, we had moved beyond that. We were doing, we were already on to the next thing and trying not to repeat ourselves. And in doing that, we wound up writing, you know, as I said, my favorite record uh, of us as a four piece. Being up there, writing them like that though, like I think I've heard, maybe it was in the liner notes, you all talk about like the spontaneity was that exactly, because when you're in a studio, I guess what I'm getting to, when you're in a studio, you have all the time in the world to work on a song, to change a song, to decide when a song ends. But doing it in this way, did did a lot of that kind of, did it allow for a lot of that spontaneity to leave in there, both musically and with the lyrics? I have to say, Kyle, um, if, when you're in the studio and you're the last guy to turn in your homework uh, and you have Mike Mills, Peter Buck and Bill Berry staring you down from the couch behind the 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 control, you don't have all the time in the world at all. <laughs> there was a lot of pressure. And, you know, that that I, we can look back on it and laugh, it, but it was intense at the time for sure. And these guys were always very loving and very uh, thoughtful about the pressure that they put on me, but it was, it was, it was a high pressure situation. They had done their part. They were finished uh, except for the arrangements and then helping me, you know, with, 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 with background vocals and such uh, to support the, vo- the, 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 the vocal, but, but they were kind of done and, and twiddling their thumbs at, at, at one point. Uh, the onus was on me to, to now take what they had created and and try to try to not bring it down but bring it up to lift it higher you know spontaneity is great when you can get it but you can't just you can't just produce a song spontaneously uh sometimes you get lucky like how the west was won uh certainly one of my favorites on that record literally was like creation ex nihilo it it, bill berry was playing a little drum part while i was sitting at the piano i literally started playing that song and 
it was written in about the three and a half minutes it takes to play it. It was done, uh, at least as far as the drums and piano part. So that was super spontaneous. And in keeping with that, I, I did the solo, <laughs> solo, it, it's, it's, uh, that's a mighty nice word for what that piano piece is. But I, I tried to pretend like it was some guy we just dragged in off the street who who'd never played piano before and said, okay, do something one time, you get one take, that's it. And that's what we did. And so what's on there, I'm not an improvisational piano player. I don't have riffs or licks on the piano. So I just sort of winged it. And I tried to uh, lean on Thelonious Monk's uh, dictum that there is no, there are no wrong notes. And, uh, you know, tried to apply that to this. And literally it was one take. And, and I said, that's it. That's, that's all it gets. I've heard you talk about that in the documentary too, that comes along with this. And again, I'll mention the deluxe edition of the album over my shoulder that comes with all of this. But there's Michael, there's also a point in there where you say that there is a lot of religion on this record, but I hope nobody asks about it because it's not exactly what you think it is. And but there is a lot of references. Uh, and I started thinking about religion as a writing tool, something that you had used before. Um, and I was wondering if you could talk a little about that, because it seems like it's a very helpful tool to use when you need it. Well, it's a it's a world that Mike and I both grew up in and, and grew, grew up through and it infused itself into um, our beliefs and, and uh, the way that we treat each other, the way we treat other people. Um, but I'm not a follower of scripture. That said, there's a lot to tap into uh, when you're when you're dealing with these giant themes or, or trying to take giant themes and, and kind of um, push them into a story that is then relatable and translatable to an audience, right? Um, I'm thinking specifically of Undertow, I guess. Uh, and there, there's, there's a degree in that song of, um, of uh, 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 denial on the part of the, the main character, where in the last line, he accepts that he's drowning and he says, I'm just gonna give up and, 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 and let this be what it is. Uh, I'm gonna be like the birds that, that, that he references throughout, throughout the, the song. Uh, but then in the last line, he says uh, that his body, like all bodies, have to breathe. And, and so he'll just start breathing water. Uh, and it, it's, a, it's a sleep of faith that's like, okay, wow, you were an atheist up until that last moment. And then you kind of lost it um, at, the, at the end. Uh, and and it's, it's quite beautiful. Nick Cave, um, who else? I mean, there are so many people that tapped into scripture to, to create incredible careers. Nick Cave is the one person I can think of that, that really, the exemplary, uh, example of that, but but um, it's it's something that I didn't necessarily necessarily want to uh, that uh, overtly tap into. But and I also I love writing from perspectives that are not mine. It pushes me uh, as a creative person to do. I, I hate that term. Well, it, it it pushes me as a writer to place myself in in places that I do not belong and try to see things from a different perspective. That's maybe part of being a Capricorn, you know, it's not like a goat, but I also have some of those kind of climb the mountain slowly uh, tendencies and, 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 and wanting to see every situation from every possible perspective. Uh, it also, I think Mike <laughs> makes me maddening to work with sometimes, but, but anyway, um, yeah, enough about me. It's all about the results. <laughs> Did I start that sentence with the word I? <laughs> Maybe. It's, there's, there's some interesting parallels. Um, I'm drawing to the other anniversary that's happening, which is uh, 10 years ago. And I think it's a few anniversaries. But 10 years ago, you all put out your final record, Fantastic Collapse Into Now. You get the greatest hits. The sort of the, the final song we hear even is Hallelujah as we talk about religion. You know, we get to there. And they even share Patti Smith. You know, I think that's the other big moment here, um, which, you know, you get uh, her on blue on Collapse Into Now. 
and and then you get her on uh what is it uh it's Ebo, right that's that's the one she's on and I, I don't know i don't really i mean i'm just all praising patty smith here in case we want to do that in a second but uh but michael on the uh, on the documentary you talk about you just wanting to reach out to her and i think that was the first time but i didn't get to hear about what that actually was like i mean you, you finally get to meet her here's one of your heroes what was that moment for you well, we met over the telephone. I, I called her from a phone booth in a, in a hash bar uh, in San Sebastian, Spain, jet lagged as I've ever been in my life. And we were there with a bunch of friends that were there to celebrate the, the beginning of the European tour. Um, Doug Copeland was there. Jane Pratt was there. Nena Cherry and her whole family, my goddaughters, were there. Um, um, Richard Linklater was there. I mean, it was so, super weird. But we were, and my two best friends, Tom Gilroy and Jim McKay, both uh, writers, directors, were there. And we ran into these um, anarchist uh, filmmaker, uh, film, film students, uh, and wound up in a hash bar on Valentine's Day, uh, 1995, in San Sebastian, Spain. I was, Mike and I had arrived from Singapore. We were insanely jet lagged. Uh, I had just written um, a, a Departure, which, because I had this experience on the plane on the way there. So I was feeling really good about myself. and. Um, Fred Sonic Smith had recently passed away, and I, we knew Patty, although we'd never spoken or met each other, through Scott Litt, who was our producer, who had worked with Patty and, and Fred on Dream of Life. And I said, I told him I wanted to reach out to her. She had to feel very alone, and I, so he asked her if it was okay to give me her number, and he, she said yes. Uh, so I called her, and um, I just said, you know, I'm sure that this is a difficult day for you. But I just want you to know that you know there are people in the world who are thinking about you, and I'm one of them. Later that year, uh, the band went through Detroit, and we played several months later. I guess we played um, in Detroit, and Patty and her two children were living uh, in the outskirts of Detroit. Uh, and um, I went to visit them on a day off, and that was the first time we met. Just incredible how that all comes around, and you get to be with your heroes. Uh, which is uh, always a nice part of, uh, of this job, the perks of this job anyway. I want to quickly catch up to the, I know we're running out of time here, but just the present really quickly. Uh, Michael, first off, I, I love the stuff that you've done with Aaron Desner with the one track uh, we heard so far with, uh, um, we played it a lot over here at WFPK and it's, it's fantastic. And then I go to put the Flag Day soundtrack in the other day and there's Ed Vetter uh, doing Drive. Uh, and you've got Jason Isbell doing a couple of tracks on his new record, uh, with Night Swimming and Driver 8s. People have been covering you guys for years and years and years, but to, to have these artists doing it, I mean, are you, first off, were you tipped off beforehand? Do they call you and say, hey, is this okay? Or do you listen to this beforehand? With Eddie and Sean? Yeah, with Ed and uh, and, and Isbell too. Uh, yeah, Jason, I don't know, Mike, did, did we know that Jason was going to do that? We knew that he had he had set a goal for himself if, 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 if Georgia went blue. To do an album of, of Georgia songs, yeah, yeah, and we—I knew there was going to be—I uh, knew Driver Eight was going to be on there. I didn't know he was doing Nice Women. That was interesting. Uh, his 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 um his melodic take on Driver Eight, the, the way the way he phrases, the way he rephrases certain lines, it makes me actually jealous. <laughs> I I listened to it several times and sang along. It was super great. And I I, I wrote him a note. I, I've never met Jason, uh, but I wrote him a note to to tell him how grateful we were that he had done such a beautiful job with those songs. With um with Sean Penn and Eddie Vetter, um, we're we're great friends with Ed. So he reached out to say, look, I, I don't know if this is insane, but I'm gonna do this. And are you okay with it? And what can we have it for the movie if it if it turns out good? And I 
I said without even, and we always check in with each other, but I knew where Mike and Peter uh, and Bill um, uh, live uh, on, on, on this type of subject. And I said, you have our blessing, like, please do whatever you want with it. I'm thrilled with, uh, with, with, with the idea that people now feel comfortable covering REM because for the longest time, we seemed like the most uncoverable band. Uh, and maybe it's the material uh, and maybe it's, uh, I don't know what the, the subject matter, but, but, but people didn't really go there and now they are. And it, that feels super good. It is weird. There, there's something odd about the amount of time that it takes for, or it took for us to go from being, you know, however popular we were while we were extant as the recording unit to the time when people felt comfortable recording us. And it's, it, I always wondered why it didn't happen more often. I didn't, it, you know, I didn't lose any sleep over it, but I did wonder why. And now it's everywhere. I mean, there are people, you know, people as famous as, as Jason and, and Ed doing things. There are a lot of people I've never heard of that are doing really fun, unusual covers of REM songs in, in, in genres that I wasn't even familiar with. And uh, it's it's very exciting. It's love. It's really cool to see your stuff reimagined by an entire new generation of musicians. I hum Airport Man, you know, at least once or twice a week. So that's not covering, but uh, I'm covering well, around you. the house anyway. So it's if you're, if, you're, if, you're, if, you're, if you're able to hum Airport Man, you're a better man than I am, Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> talk about talk about openers for albums. I mean, we thought How the West Was Won and Where It Got Us was a weird one. Uh, that I mean, and Mike, we also when we played that. Uh, that show in uh, in uh, DC for the Tibet House, yep. uh, for, uh, the Tibet Freedom. Uh, we we opened with Airport Man, right? Yeah. Like a six minute version, and I'm in a I'm in a fucking sarong. I mean, what were we thinking? <laughs> well, we we're, we're contrarians, you know. We kind of always have been, and we just really chose to uh, expose that side of our nature for those two records. Thank goodness. Because again, it's some of my favorite work that you guys have done. Uh, I'll, I'll just quickly ask then, uh, what comes next? Is there more music? I mean, uh, you know, uh, Michael, you've been putting out the stuff. Mike, either one of you got stuff on the way that we can, you know, I'm, I'm a greedy bastard. I'm a fan. That's what is happening right now. Yeah. Well, uh, the Baseball Project is doing a new record in January. Um, I'm writing songs with a couple of different groups of people. Um, I have uh, uh, I have two uh, things coming out next year, a lot of a lot of shows where we combine classical and rock and roll. The concerto I wrote is being uh, is being played at the Met in New York, which is very exciting. And we're going to be doing a uh, uh, we're going to be touring a thing where the first half of the, uh, is something called REM Explored, which is two great arrangers taking five REM songs and completely deconstructing them and and turning them into something. I don't even know what it's going to be because I haven't heard it yet. Second half of the concert will be my concerto. Uh, with full orchestra, very exciting stuff. And then we have something called The Night of Georgia Music, which is, uh, I curated songs either about Georgia or by Georgia artists. And it's all instrumental, but it relies on the virtuosity of Robert McDuffie, the violinist, and Chuck Lavelle, the pianist. And uh, it's a very exciting hour of, uh, of Georgia music. Well, I can't wait to, to hear all the stuff that does come from, uh, you know, whatever the future holds from both of you. In the meantime, we got the beauties like this right here. New Adventures in Hi-Fi, again, the deluxe edition. It's so much fun digging in deeper with all of this and, uh, and the B-sides and all that. Uh, guys, thank you so much for 40 years worth of music. And, uh, and, uh, and thank you for taking the time to talk about it today. This really meant a lot to me. Thank Thanks, you. Stay, and stay tuned. There's more coming for sure. Awesome. All right. Take care, fellas. All the best. Bye.
So you want to be a rock and roll star? No? Well, how about a podcast star? Well, as it turns out, there's a new all-in-one platform just for you. It's called Anchor, and it's the easiest way to make a podcast. And check this out. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And then Anchor will distribute the podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify and Apple Podcast and, you know, everywhere else in, the, in podcast land. And what's even better, you can actually make money from your podcast. Go figure. Uh, no minimum listenership on that. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So go ahead. Download the free Anchor app right now or go to anchor.fm to get started. So what are you waiting for? Podcast stardom is within your reach. Michael Stipe and Mike Mills talking and being about the 25th anniversary of New Adventures in Hi-Fi. A few years ago, Mike Mills and I caught up about what was then the 20th anniversary of Up, the album that came after New Adventures, uh, as well as the 10th anniversary of Accelerates. Uh, I'm going to include a couple more interviews, and we'll start right here. Part two of Kyle Meredith with R.E.M. First off, though, I should, I should say, so we're in Louisville. I, I noticed that you were just at the Derby again, right? I was. I was. I, I come as often as I can uh, to help benefit the Unbridled Foundation and have a good time while doing so. Yeah? Did you, do you walk away with anything, money-wise? <laughs> <laughs> no, I I, uh, I did okay at the Oaks. Uh, hopefully, came close to breaking even by the end of it all. That's that's about the best we can all hope for. So <laughs> to break. That's even. all. I, that's all I can ask. Yeah. <laughs> so there's a there's three years I kind of want to hit on, and they all end with eight. 2018, 1998, and 2008. I thought we'd spin the wheel, and I'd let you decide where we go first. Uh, well, uh, given my memory, 2018 is probably the best start. <laughs> Well, we'll start with the present then. Um, lately, I noticed you've been doing uh, sort of messing around in the classical world, a concerto for violin, rock band, and string orchestra. Uh, I'd love to know what that, more what that's about. Well, uh, uh, my, my very good friend Robert McDuffie uh, came to me a few years ago and, and said that he could play Beethoven and Tchaikovsky until his hair fell out and he'd rather try something different. And he asked if I would write a, a half-hour concerto for, uh, for as you said, uh, violin, rock band, and string orchestra. Uh, Bobby and I have been friends since uh, grammar school, actually, high, early high school. And so I, I gave it a shot. It's, um, it's, it's really not, strictly speaking, a classical piece. It's more of a song suite, but it does have uh, the elements that define a concerto, which is that it's about a half-hour piece of music that uh, relies uh, heavily on the virtuosity of the soloist, in this case, uh, Bobby McDuffie. And, uh, you know, it's something we really enjoy doing. Uh, we work a lot with youth orchestras when we play it around the country, as well as other symphonies. And, uh, you know, we're just trying to show people that the, that the gap between classical and, and rock and roll might not be, be as, uh, quite as wide as people think it is. And, and I think I've used that term, heard that term a lot, too, you know, the, uh, the line from Beethoven to the Beatles. It's, it, as you say, it's, it's pretty small. Well, yeah, I think people are surprised when they go when they see this because they they might be expecting one thing and they get a really great combination of I I, I think you know some of the best parts of classical and rock and roll. Now I know you're you're you know enough years away separated from REM to have that in the rear view, but this still has to seem like such a different world and a and a different setup for you, or, or does it? <laughs> well. Uh, you know, it, it is, in fact, uh, because most of the venues so far in which we've performed are classical music venues. Uh, we have done shows, you know, we work with these string orchestras. We've played with the Toronto Symphony, uh, which is very uh, intimidating. So it, it is, it is uh, sort of, 
it's not brand new ground, but it hasn't really been done that often that uh, that we try to combine the Venn diagram between the two types of music. So, uh, you know, it's a little bit of uncharted territory, but but we're making it work. Now, outside of this, I mean, what do you keep yourself busy with lately, music-wise? I mean, are you still working in the rock world? I know a handful of years ago, you and I have a mutual friend with Joseph Arthur, so, you know, you'd been on tour with Joe. And uh, but, but are you doing yep. anything else in the yep. rock world right now? Um. You know, I do. I do some charity stuff. I do. Uh, I, I, of course, enjoy playing golf. So I try to combine charity music events with golf events. Uh, Patrick Warburton has a huge event every year out in the desert uh, that raises a ton of money for St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. Uh, I'll actually be doing another event for St. Jude in early June in Memphis that Steve Cropper is uh, is hosting. So, you know, those things are really fun for me to to do good work and have a good time doing it. Uh, we're hoping the baseball project can do uh, a run of shows uh, late this summer if Scott McCoy is feeling up to it. So, uh, you know, there, there are fingers in different pies here. Gotcha. I know Scott right now is with Joe and Peter Buck. Joe, See, to me, Joe is just slowly putting REM back together in, in the most long way around possible. So. <laughs> Well, you know, I've been a been a fan of Joe's for a long time, as you know, and uh, uh, you know, I haven't heard he and Peter's work yet, which is slack of me, but I will be listening soon, and I'm looking forward to it. Oh, it's a really great record with the REM world uh, because there there seems to be relevant news. Uh, Scott Ackerman and Adam Scott's REM podcast. Have you been keeping up with that? I, I've been. Uh, I'm aware of it. Um, Adam and I communicate occasionally. I have not had the time to sit and listen to it yet, but I'm I'm <laughs> very much looking forward to it. He's a funny guy. This seems like also, you know, an interesting way for a new audience still to find REM after all these years, you know, maybe not coming in the, the entrance from one of the big hits like a, a lot of us made it. I, I don't know if you've seen any impact from that or even if that crosses your mind, like where the new generation, how the new generation finds your old work. Well, you know, it's, it's certainly it certainly brings some new fans to the fold, I think, or, or reinforces for a lot of other fans that they're not the only ones that like it. Uh, it's really nice of someone of Adam's stature to, uh, to, to make a point of, of talking about it. You know, music is always out there. I, I came to a lot of music later on myself. You know, there, there are a lot of ways that you find out about music, and, and not all of it is from the radio, fortunately, or satellite radio or whatever the coin of the realm is currently. But it's, but it's really good that, uh, that people encounter music in unexpected ways. Well, I'll tell you, you know, as far as that band goes, and, you know, I, I follow you uh, pretty closely on Twitter. I, I like keeping up and liking the things that you're saying because with the current White House, I keep thinking, though, isn't it a shame there's no new REM record? And I know that's not even in the pie right now, but, oh, the things I feel like you all would be saying right now. <laughs> well, it, you know, it's, it's true. Uh, social media certainly is a double-edged sword, but at least it gives people a chance to to uh, speak their minds, state their opinions, and, uh, you know, you, you can engage with like-minded people, or you can have, hopefully, intelligent discussions with people who disagree. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Twitter itself is a very instantaneous method of doing that. You know, I enjoy the give and take. Uh, it's also nice to be able to vent. Um, and, you know, I, I just think everyone should have a political opinion, and I think everyone should be involved in politics. And I think that the more Americans uh, that do participate, uh, the better the result we're going to get is. As far as, though, you know, on, on the writing, uh, do, do you find yourself writing about any of this? Do you, do you work on solo music in that way? I tend to concentrate more on the, 
on the instrumental and melodic side of music. I enjoy lyrics and I enjoy words, but I often find myself hitting a wall when I try to, to write them myself. But yeah, I mean, I, so there, that's, that's why a lot of times I say this, the things I have to say in social media rather than writing songs about it, because I don't always feel that I express myself as well uh, with lyrics. But certainly, you know, there's, there's plenty of material to draw upon these days. Well, we'll spin the wheel a little bit. I, I want to head back 10 years because Accelerate uh, just uh, celebrated its 10th anniversary. I always feel like this is a record that sort of gets lost in the bigger REM conversation right now. And um, see if we can jog your memory a little bit, because at the time, for various reasons, this was sort of called the comeback album, the rock album. In retrospect, is that a fair assessment? You know, given the inevitability of people needing to put labels on things, I, I, I think that's as fair as any. You know, obviously, uh, none of us were thrilled with Around the Sun. It started out really well, and we made the mistake of trying to uh, do a tour in the middle of making a record. You know, we learned a lesson from that, which is that once you start a record, you need to forge on through to the end. You know, by the time we got back from the tour and tried to finish Around the Sun, we sort of lost focus and weren't exactly sure where we were going with it. So it, it ended up being a bit meandering as far as we were concerned. So when we did a Accelerate, we decided to uh, make the songs as short and punchy and powerful as possible. Uh, we edited ourselves very, very heavily, more so than we've ever done before. And, uh, you know, we, we just wanted to make it pithy. <laughs> and, and, and so we had to say, get in and get out. You know, Peter and I have always agreed that there's very little more powerful than a three-minute pop song or rock song. So that's kind of what we shot for with that. And it does have one complete sound. I mean, at the time, I don't think you guys had done that since maybe Monster. Monster seemed to have that one combining sound that went all the way through it. But but this one, for a band that is so creative and you've done, you, you did so many different sounds throughout the years, it, it seems like to me it'd almost be a challenge to have one cohesive sound run all the way through a record like that. Well, that's that's actually very well said. You know, for, for anybody that's been doing their craft for years, uh, you have to branch out and experiment and try different things. And we certainly did that, you know, to varying degrees of success. And uh, when we got together with this, and we, we said, it would, this has to be focused. This has to be tightly focused and, and laser sharp. And, and uh, you know, and that in itself is a challenge, especially when you haven't done that for a few years. You know, looking back, when, when Collapse In and Now and the breakup was announced and everything, you had talked about how you had known it was coming for a few years did you know that the end of REM was coming during Accelerate? Because when I look at a song like Until the Day is Done, it seems like it's spelled out perfectly for everybody. No, we weren't really aware of it at that point. We, got, we became more aware of it as the tour went on, the 2008 tour. If you want clues in songs, they're on Collapse Into Now. Mm -hmm. There are two or three songs on, on that record that address uh, the becoming disbanding. But really, when we were making that record, we were just trying to reestablish ourselves to ourselves, not not so much to anyone else, but to ourselves as a as a tight rock unit, and uh, and and you know just prove to ourselves that we still had the the force to pull it together to make a, a great record. Uh, I want I want to cheat a bit here because he did bring up collapse into now. Well, I did actually, but uh, did did you ever get did you ever wish that that uh, album had been able to be toured because uh, it's you know it never got the live chance in the way the others did. Well, you know, I suppose that it would have been a cool thing, but, but I don't really uh, have any regrets about it because we were pretty sure that the 2008 tour would be the last one, and we never had any plans to tour Collapse Into Now. It was a record that was made to sort of say goodbye with. 
You know, we, we, we didn't want to do the tour where everyone knew it was the last tour. You know, we didn't want to do one of those big farewell things of all sentimental and maudlin and like, oh, we're going to miss you guys and all that stuff. We just wanted to, you know, make our statement, put the record out, and then say goodbye. Well, I do want to jump back in 10 more years further just for a moment here to talk about Up, which is getting its 20th anniversary this year. Uh, first off, this is one of my favorite REM albums. Up, I absolutely love. I might have listened to it more than any other record in your catalog. Wow. But from you. what I understand, it was sort of a difficult record to make. Is that is that right? Well, it it, it it didn't start out that way. I mean, you know, we, we started working on the songs with Bill in the band, and then uh, we found out that Bill didn't want to be in the band anymore, so that left us with an option. We could either stop or we could keep going, and Bill insisted that we keep going. He said, look, I'm not going to be the guy that broke up R.E.M., so uh, we decided to go ahead and make a record, and we figured since we didn't have a drummer, we would go machine and, and use machines for the most part. Um, obviously, Barrett Martin did a great job on Lotus, but we wanted to just say, look, okay, everything's changed. All the rules are out the window. Let's try something completely different here. I'm really happy with Up. It was a lot of fun to make what for R.E.M. was an electronica record. Uh, you know, certainly Kraftwerk might disagree with that, but um, <laughs> for us, it was kind of it was a lot of fun to be machine oriented. Musically, it was a lot of fun. The dynamics of the band had obviously changed. You know, without without Bill as a balancing force in the band, all of our quirks and foibles became a little more obvious to each other and. You know, we just had to reestablish the balance of, of being in a band together. And uh, that was something that, you, you know, you might want to, you might not want to do that while you're making a record, but nonetheless, that's that's the hand we were dealt. So uh, we got through it very well, and, and I'm pretty proud of that. There are, there are songs on there that, that sound nothing like you all had ever done before. I mean, starting it off with Airport Man is a statement in itself. It really was. Well, that was that was my idea, which is, at this point, it was like, you know what, I, there was criticism coming in from some directions about things, and I said, okay, well, here it is. You know, we are not going to pander to anybody with this record. This is this is what we sound like, and this is probably the least pop song we've ever done, so we're going to make it first. And if you can deal with this, then you can deal with anything. Um, I, I kind of enjoyed the contrarianism of that maneuver, but uh, some people didn't like it as much. Nigel, Nigel Godrich uh, helped you out with this. Was... Did those sounds, did he have anything to do with those sounds? Because he's sort of known for that type of thing. Oddly enough, the sounds came more from Pat McCarthy. Pat was a really, is still, he was an extremely talented man who has a lot of uh, unusual ideas. And, uh, um, you know, a lot of the noises were, were keyboards and machines that Peter had found in, in looking through uh, antique stores and, and, and uh, garage sales. And uh, and we just gave Pat a free hand to say, here, make some noises and, and, and see what kind of sound beds you can make for us. So I think it was probably more Pat than Nigel, although Nigel was a, was a big piece of the record. I think it was more Pat McCarthy. Yeah. Well, I can't say enough great things about that record again. I mean, at my most beautiful in Day Sleeper, I mean, those are two perfect songs in, in my world. So, uh, you know, I appreciate all you guys did with that. Really do. Thank you. Well, that's 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 our trip through time right there. Uh, I don't think we need to go back another ten years to '88 at this point. That's been well tread uh, many times over. So <laughs> you are correct. It, it is a pleasure, Mike, uh, talking with you and catching up. I, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for uh, for taking the time, and I'll look forward to uh, if you guys do the baseball project again. Uh, when when that happens. Well, I look forward to that too. It's been my pleasure. Thank you. All right. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Now we'll jump all the way back to 2011. This is when R.E.M. decided to call it quits. Uh, they released their final album, 
and then a greatest hits. And that's where Mike Mills and I got to catch up in part three of Kyle Meredith with R.E.M. Putting together the compilation, it looks like you beat Warner Brothers to the punch by preparing all of this uh, before you even announced your split. Is that, is that accurate? Did you guys know that this was going to happen? Like, all right, we're going to split up and the label's going to want the greatest hits and here we go. Well, the greatest hits was something, or the, or the compilation, the retrospective, actually, mm-hmm. which is a more accurate term for what it is. Um, no, we knew that was coming. That's uh, that's been on the on the burner for some time. Uh, as, as far as breaking up, we started talking about that on the 2008 tour, and it really began to crystallize, you know, between the end of that and then the making of Collapse into Now. So, uh, I think it was a really nice sort of coincidence, synergistic thing that the that the ba- the breakup of the band coincided with uh, a retrospective that was already going to happen anyway. When you were putting this together, did you consider any alternate takes or song or production bonuses? Are there any in there for us to find that? Because uh, that happened back um, on the '80s compilation too, didn't it? Yeah, we we threw some curveballs in there, but this one is really, uh, you know, there are a couple of ways to look at it. I always think of you know the Martian who lands on Earth after the nuclear war, and there's nothing left except this two CD set of REM songs and. <laughs> You know, we're going for that Martian market, and and uh, so he listens to it and goes, "Oh, okay, this was a pretty good band." Or, more realistically, for some twelve-year-old kid who's just getting into music, and and he's heard of this band REM, but he wants to know what they're all about. And if you, if you listen to this, it pretty much covers all the bases uh, for us. So it, it was actually, you know, not a really hard uh, compilation to put together, and and I think it represents represents us really well, especially the three new songs, because that's pretty much what REM sounds like in two thousand and eleven. Uh, as you were looking back. Can you name any one single song that you think defines R.E.M.? Uh, I mean, here you're saying here's two discs that defines R.E.M. Is there that quintessential R.E.M. track? You know, that is a question that that normally I would say no. Uh, We do too much, too many kinds of music. Our songs are more diverse than than you can really pin down. But uh, I've sort of changed my mind on that, and I will throw out Man on the Moon as as a song that pretty much captures what R.E.M. is about. You know, it's got it's incredible lyrics. It's musically uh, brilliant, I think. It's got a lot of great harmony singing on it. It's a fun song, and yet it's emotionally powerful. Um, I would put that up as, as a, a pretty good indicator. I suddenly imagine that uh, that alien coming to Earth being a radio programmer who says, I've got 30 seconds. Tell me one song. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't know how they do things on Mars, but it might be like that. <laughs> Um, I wanted to ask you about one specific record, and it's I think it's been one of the more interesting uh, records of your career, and that was number 13 with Around the Sun. Um, that's one that uh, I think was probably not just kind of critically panned, but it seemed like that was the one time where the band said, uh, oops. But you turned around, and and then with uh, when the live record that came out right after it, almost all of those songs was redeemed, and I was just kind of wondering if you had made up with that album. Well... I, I don't mind that album. Here's the thing about it. It's it's there are great songs on that record, as you can tell by the live record that came after that. The mm-hmm. the songs themselves are are great. I mean, there's some of the, them that I'd put up against anything else. But we just made a mistake in 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 logistics. We we thought it'd be okay to start that record and then take a break in the middle and and record a couple of new songs for a for a an, another you know the first greatest hits compilation and then go on tour for that for months and then try to come back and finish the record and the fact is that's that's not the way you make records mm-hmm. you you start the record you work on it and you finish it and that's just a lesson that we learned so what happened was you know we we when we left we were very excited about that record and then we got back from the tour and tried to go back in the studio and finish it and we just really didn't have a focus we didn't know where it was supposed to go or how to get it there 
and we tried all these different things and ended up maybe trying too many things and and so at the end we had a, a record that that was just unfocused and unrealized uh, which was which was kind of sad because those songs deserved better and in fact they got it on the live record yeah and they really have sounded great every time I've heard them too so Thank you for the, for the uh, clearance on that. Uh, a band gets to a point in their life, as REM has, when uh, they start influencing other bands, and you guys have been doing that now for a very long time, when you hear of a new band coming out saying, yeah, they sound like REM. But it seems always around that time that, you know, and, and maybe I'm wrong, you're the one who actually gets interviewed here, but um, that interviewers stop asking the whole question of, you know, what are your current influences yourself? Because here you are influencing every other band. And and I was curious about that. You know, if there is something right now that's redefining your tastes, uh, and maybe it's not even music, maybe it's a movie or book or a piece of art, but uh, as, as you further yourself along here, what are you listening to or seeing that's really keeping you creative? Wow. Um, oh, man, of course, that's when I get brain freeze, when I really <laughs> want to tell about all the things I'm listening to. You know, I'm, I'm excited about that new Lars von Trier movie, Melancholia. That That looks exciting to me. I heard a song by a band called Real Estate that I have just downloaded their LP and I haven't listened to it yet, but I'm excited about that because I like the song It's Real. Oh, yeah. Um, and a good you know, video about um, dogs. Oh, is it? <laughs> All about dogs. <laughs> I look forward to that. Um, you know, the low anthem, uh, doing some really fun stuff. You know, Wilco is certainly carrying the flag for, for uh, you know, one of the best American bands out there. Uh, the Jayhawks are back together. That makes me very excited. Um, you know, there there are plenty of fun things out there and, and exciting, uh, both old and new. Yeah, you you all, of course, uh, th this all ends amicably. But uh, are are you going to miss REM? Do you expect that you're going to miss REM, or are you just ready? Is this it? You're ready to move on? Uh, what I'll miss is performing on stage, uh, because you know the thing that makes a band is the chemistry that occurs when a certain group of people make music together. I mean, mm -hmm. you could find five people that are tremendous players, but if they don't have that chem chemistry, it just doesn't matter. But the fact is, with Peter and Michael and I, and with Peter and Bill and Michael and I, there, there was something that happened, and uh, and you could feel it, and it was very real, and certainly th that aspect of it I'll miss. Um, everything else, we're all perfectly at peace about it. Uh, you know, we walked away on our own terms at the timing, uh, the timing and the placing of it was all our idea. And so, there, you know, no regrets about that at all. But, uh, but of course, I'll miss singing and playing with those guys. Uh, are you working on a solo record? I'm not currently working on a solo record, but, uh, you know, who knows what's going to happen. There's all kind of musical things floating around for next year. And I imagine at some point in my career, I'll sit down and, and put some stuff together and put out the Mike Mills experience featuring Mike Mills. <laughs> <laughs> Do you, do you think it's going to be, uh, I mean, uh, it's obviously, I guess, going to be different for you to transition into a front man when that time gets here? Uh, well, that's that's certainly one of the things you have to think about. I'm not a front man. I, I don't have, you know, I don't have that kind of charisma. I don't have that kind of desire or whatever it is it takes to be a front man. I don't think I have it. So um, I, I, that's why I was always perfectly happy, you know, with being in a band and not being the front man. Uh, and just because you put out a re record doesn't mean you have to tour. Um, you can make a record without without ever leaving your house, but um, that just remains to be seen. Who knows? You know, I may get this burst of ego and creativity and say, "Go out and be a front man." Maybe I'll do that, but uh, that remains to be seen. Yeah. Well, uh, I certainly do look forward to every single thing we're going to hear from you. I mean, I, obviously, this is not the end of Mike Mills right here, uh, but the certainly beginning, not. right? It's the beginning. It is, you know, it is the beginning of a whole new phase. I mean, everybody's very excited about it, you know. Michael's going to, uh, you know, I think he likes his visual arts, and he'll work with sculpture and photography and, and things in the art world. And, and uh, you know, Peter will continue to play music. He's out with John Wesley Harding, I think, as we speak. 
and uh, you know I've been speaking to a lot of a lot of uh, musicians I love and respect about doing some work together. So uh, I, I think 2012 is going to be a really fun year. All right. Well, thank you for uh, so much for taking the moment here and uh, you know, taking the time here. You're welcome. Thank you, Kyle. And again, my thanks to Mike Mills and Michael Stipe. Once again, the uh, new box set is New Adventures in Hi-Fi 25th Anniversary Edition. It's out now. Thanks to you as well for uh, checking out the episode, the series. Uh, please do hit that subscribe button so you can keep up with all the interviews that I put out every single week. Three brand new interviews to keep you up to date with your favorite artists. Uh, at all the usual spots that you can uh, subscribe to podcasts. That does include YouTube as well for the uh, video versions. After that... After all of that, head over to WFPK.org. That's where I do a show Monday through Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern, an hour full of song premieres, music news, anniversary spins, bonus interviews. Again, Monday through Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern at WFPK.org. Consequence has your music and film news. You can also find me on the social media spots, uh, including uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all three of them, at Kyle Meredith, over on TikTok at Kyle M. Meredith. That does it for another edition. I'm Kyle Meredith. I'll see you next time. Consequence Podcast Network. Hey, guys. uh, Sorry I'm a little bit late. Uh, Let's make sure that we give ourselves enough time because there's not much time anyway. It's easy to hear your favorite artist on WFPK from wherever you are. Listen on your smart speaker, live stream from our website at WFPK.org from Louisville Public Media. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at trylifemd.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.